Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5000. Enjoy! It's time once again for another episode of Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. Broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel studios in Atlanta. And now, here's your host, Emily Rowell. Good morning. This is Emily Rowell with Atlanta Legal Experts Radio, and I'm here with Dr. Jay Faber. He is on the medical staff at Amen Clinic, Clinics in Costa Mesa, California, and he has written a book. And his book is called Escape, Rehab Your Brain to Stay Out of the Legal System. Good morning, Mr. Faber. How are you? Or Dr. Faber, sorry. Good morning, Emily. I'm good. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you so much for coming all the way out from California to be here. It's good to be back in Atlanta. Yeah. So tell me, why did you write this book? Yeah, I think there's three reasons. Um, First reason was for our prisoners. I don't think they get a break. And the more we understand neuroscience in the brain, most of these people aren't bad people. They've just got bad brains. 85% of the individuals in prison system have either a substance abuse problem and seven times higher rate of traumatic brain injury. So clearly there's something going on, and we've got to get more creative and, I think, innovative to help those individuals out. Second, I wrote the book for our taxpayers. Um, What if we came up with a system to help decrease the amount of taxes we spend per year on our prison system? So I thought it would be a great way to help that out for all people. And then third, it was my thank you to the U.S. government. I mean, here's the scoop. And we don't get this very much, but the reality is half my loans for medical school were paid for by the government. So it was my way of saying thank you back to the U.S. Gov. The book is for free. It can be downloaded for free. That's wonderful, Um, yeah. If you look at it, I think you'd see it's professionally done. There's pictures, et cetera. So there's why we wrote the book. Well, thank you so much. And that was Dr. Jay Faber on medical staff at the Amen Clinics in Costa Mesa, California, on Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. Dr. Faber, again, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to read your bio, and then we can talk a little bit more about your history and how you got to where you are today. Um, So he is, like I said before, um, on the medical staff at Amen Clinics in Costa Mesa, California. And that was founded in 89. The Amen Clinics put into practice the groundbreaking brain research and decades of professional experience of Dr. Daniel Amen, a highly lauded advocate of brain imaging and pioneer of natural brain-oriented treatment for some of the humanity's most common ailments. Using SPECT, SPECT, Imaging and other diagnostic tools such as QEEG and laboratory studies, when appropriate, 
Dr. Amen and his staff of highly trained board certified professionals help people across the country and the world with a wide range of psychiatric issues. And Dr. Faber is, is an MD and medical and forensic psychiatrist with more than two decades of experience in child, adolescent, and adult psychiatry and pharm pharmacological management, treating patients in clinical private practices in Colorado, California, and Georgia. Tell me, tell me your background. How did you get into all this? Uh, long story, I think just the short of it is people in high school used to tell me all their problems, ah. and I would listen. And so when I finally got to medical school, I said I must get paid for having people tell me their stuff and me coming up with solutions. So that's sort of the long and short of how this all that's started. So that happens to me. Like I feel like I have like counselor on my forehead. There you people go. just start talking to me about things. I'm like... Yeah, you become a magnet. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's wonderful. So you're kind of following, you know, what you naturally fell into in your dream. And how did you find this clinic? Um, I was visiting California on one of my trips, and a good friend of mine, Steve Youngerberg, said, hey, you ought to go check out Dr. Amon's clinic. And at the time, I had been working for one of the three largest insurance companies. I said, I'll check it out. So Dr. Amon and I talked for it's going to be 30 minutes, and we end up talking about two and a half hours. Oh, wow. So, yeah, the things that really kind of turned me on was Dr. Amen had on, at that point, electronic data, mm -hmm. over 80,000 scans, mm -hmm. um, saved over 20 years. Now, just being in corporate world for a while to have that much data stored anywhere sure, um, is one thing. And then it's the, my second question was, is, well, what are your outcomes uh, right. at the time? And do you have data to back all this up? Um, at that time, and it still is the case, the only clinic in the country that had outcome studies was a Cleveland clinic mm. in Ohio. And Dr. Amen said, yeah, we've got outcomes. I said, what? <laughs> and I said, well, how well are we doing? And at that point, 75% of the people going into that clinic were coming out and getting better. Uh, at this point, we're now up to 85%, those that follow us. Wow. So and we deal with the sickest of the sick. I mean, people that aren't getting better, that's who comes and sees us. So. Sure. Um, so there's that piece, and then there's always the being on the cutting edge. So the psychopharm piece is one piece, but we're also finding out that the use of holistic approaches, mm -hmm. uh, supplements, and other more naturalistic techniques as simple as like deep breathing, yoga. Mm -hmm. So we incorporate stress relievers like stress that. Stress mm -hmm. relievers, yeah, we're learning. And then you take that on top of what we're learning just from a more, uh, how would I say, medical piece, so kind of mixing the brain body together. So you start thinking about cortisol and stress, uh, hormones, we see a lot. Sure. And so we're using all the data mm -hmm. to help people feel better and I think also physically look better. I think um, with the stress side and with the holistic approach that you're saying, I think even just the right diet helps tremendously because you can't feel right if you're eating junk food all day long. Yeah, so there's the whole diet piece and the whole simple carbohydrate, you know, piece in terms of McDonald's. I shouldn't probably say names, but burgers, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. you know, uh, junk fatty food. food, junk foods. You know, you guys can think of your own stuff uh, that you can think of. But I will say this. There is a point where diet doesn't necessarily help these people. And it's sure. so frustrating. These people are doing everything they can. And so we're starting to ask more deeper, probing, penetrating questions. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, we're finding out that sometimes what you eat affects your microbiome and your gut. Mm -hmm. And so you have to get a bit more creative in trying to get your 
microflora, your bacteria and your, your gut working better for you. And then cortisol uh, with stress. I mean, it's, it's amazing people with low cortisol, how low their energy level is and how much weight they gain, and they can't seem to stop it. And so by getting a little bit more creative and sophisticated in our laboratory techniques, we're able to kind of put a bigger package together to help people start to lose weight. Can you explain a little bit more, these um, patients that come in, what they're dealing with, what they're going through, and what they do, you know, try to summarize what they go through in your clinic and how they come out? Yeah, I mean, most a, a typical person, if, if you're, let's just talk about like your your 20-something-year-old, mm-hmm. okay, who will come into our clinic. Uh, they've got focusing problems. They may have some mood issues. And they've been using lots of drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad have taken their child to three to four different professionals. Uh, mm-hmm. They've been in the two or three different psychiatric facilities, and nothing's getting better. Mm-hmm. And so what do you do? It's like, well, last ditch, let's come to the Amen Clinic and do a functional neuroimaging, a spec scan of the brain, a spec scan is basically a way we look at blood flow to the brain to see what parts of the brain might be working too hard, which we see problems, and what parts of the brain might be not working hard enough. Okay. And so what we do is take that data and then start to incorporate a plan. So a person will come in, we'll do a full evaluation, your typical just let's talk, see what's going on. Mm-hmm. We'll have them go through a number of psychological tests. Then while they're at the office, they'll get a spec scan done. Um, For those who are kind of wondering what the heck is a spec scan, what does it look like, what we do is we give you a small amount of a radionuclide called technetium, big word, you don't have to remember it, but you get about a third of the radiation you get from a CAT scan, so it's not much. Okay. And then we have you lay down on a table, and your head goes between these three big boxes. It looks like a miniature MRI okay. for about 15 minutes, and uh, the, the three boxes around your head are gamma cameras, and they take snapshots of your brain. So we do that, and then to kind of end their session, me, the physician, will look at all the information we've got, look at the scans, sit down with the 20-year-old and their parents, mm-hmm. and start to come up with a plan to help brains work better. Now, we've seen all sorts of things. I mean, I can tell you a kid... We saw up in uh, North Carolina, he'd been living on the streets, using all sorts of drugs. Mm-hmm. Parents brought him in, and it's like really the last-ditch effort because they didn't know what else to do. And it's one of these cases where you end up having to really fight mm-hmm. for the kid because mm-hmm. they don't want to fight themselves. So right. long story short, he came in. A month later, he had stopped drugs for 30 days, which was a good start. Um, but he was really excited and motivated to keep going. And I said, well, what's got you so excited? Because I was curious. And he says, well, I lost 10 pounds. Oh, wow. And I go, well, that's sort of an interesting, you know, goal set. So you just kind of keep what other things you can do to get going. We met three months later. He had started working at a gym and was getting a certified trainer. Awesome. Six months later, and this is where it gets really exciting. He was being a certified trainer at a gym and now was looking at going into the Navy SEALs. Wow. Now, this is wow. a kid six months ago. He was selling drugs, living on the street. Sure. And now he's got a job. Right. Staying away from drugs, and he wants to become a Navy SEAL. Wow. I mean, yeah. those are the kinds of stories yeah. you love hearing. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. I love that. He summarized it pretty well, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Rich Casanova, the producer engineer here for Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. Um, tell us what's the biggest challenge on a day-to-day basis in your practice or no, that is a great, great question. Um, just from this is more personal. You got to be a fighter. You've really got to be willing to step in and be willing to fight because these people have been through everything. They don't have much hope. They don't have much belief right. in the system because nothing has worked. Okay. Now, what I end up doing, these people come in, is I'll tell them our outcomes. You know, seventy-five percent get better who just come in. Eighty-five if they follow us. If I told him 100%, I'd be lying on my teeth. But right, I right. will say this to him. I say, even though we get 85% better, I'll fight 100%. And I truly mean that. Now, that may sound like a platitude, and I tell them that as well. I said, when I say that, if I run out of things here that are working, well, I've got other ideas. If those ideas run out, is you do not want to know what time I get to this office right. to start reading about other things that are coming off the technology market to help you. I mean, that's got to be um, energizing and draining all at the same time, whatever, right? Exhausting at times. I mean, what kind of refuels you? How do you kind of yeah. maintain that level of uh, commitment? Two things. I mean, you've got to be balanced. You have to mix fun with play, one. Mm-hmm. Um, second, and this may sound really crazy, but I find in your daily disciplines are crucial. I get up. I probably shouldn't say this too long. Five in the morning. Um, Regardless of what coast you're on, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So my day starts off, I'll read 30 minutes of something leadership business inspirational. Mm -hmm. Um, I journal. I've got two different ways of journaling. I won't get into that now. That I've saved for the last about seven, eight years on computer. And then third, I try to read three journal articles, something with neuroscience per day and after i do that in the morning it's like getting a good workout you're ready to go in and do you make some a quick work. question you mentioned leadership how long are you going to be here in atlanta <laughs> 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 well the reason i mentioned is there's a i don't know if you're familiar with leader cast i know leader cast okay, yes yeah. they're yeah. going to be here in atlanta they were just in the studio last week <laughs> uh, the ceo and the president for leader cast um there's seven thousand folks here in atlanta but you can simulcast anywhere in the world 125,000 people so, uh, um, it's funny because like Henry Cloud, who's one of the speak lead speakers, yeah, Henry, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Henry and I met about 22 years ago, right? Wow. In Newport beach, they were running a medical clinic. So yeah, we know, I know Henry, yeah, yeah, I know yeah. some of the other people. That's funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Leadercast is great. It's awesome. Well, good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I have one, um, important final question for you to answer and we'll be getting into this later in the show as well. Um, what is the biggest problem our criminal justice system faces today, particularly among the prison system, with some 2.2 million Americans behind bars? Yeah, I think David will be able to <laughs> shed a light up this as yes. well. That's, um, that was my little segue. Did you like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think we know what to do. Um, we're talking about a paradigm shift, and when you look at cultural change, it's, it's hard because you have to think differently. Uh, sure. on how to help things. So there's the punishment piece versus the rehab piece, and how do we mix and mesh those together? Who's going to get better? Who's got a chance to get better versus who might? Right. So all those kind of come into play. So we're on a journey, and there's, I think, two factors. One is we, the neuroscience people, have to be humble. Um, we have to look honestly to say what's working and what's not, and then secondarily have open communication with the other legal side to see what's working and what's not working. It's pretty hard to do. 
it's um, you learn a lot about conflict resolution skills. Sure. You know, and how to get really creative to like come up with, 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 with problems. Yeah. Well, let it, let our listeners know how they can reach you. Yeah, you can reach me a couple different ways. Uh, my phone number in uh, the Southern California area is area code 949-266-3751. My email is docfaber at amenclinic.com, D-O-C, F as in Frank, A-B as in boy, E-R, at amen, A-M-E-N clinic.com. And that was Dr. Faber on Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. Thank you again. Thank you very much. Yes. And we are now going to David Windicher. He's back. Good morning, Emily. Good morning, Rich. Always morning. fun to be back with you guys on the air. Absolutely. Yes. Doctor, or doctor. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Congratulations. I yeah. I'm a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> doctor, right? <laughs> Thanks. Let's start that over again. I always do that with you. <laughs> David Windicher, you are with the Windicher Firm. That's uh, right. We're going to talk a little bit quickly about your nonprofit. So if you could tell me a little more about Red Inc., Great. So RED Inc. stands for Rehabilitation Enables Dreams, and the aim for RED is to stop recidivism. It's a big problem that we created in the 80s and the 90s with the Get Tough on Crime uh, movement that causes us to have these mandatory minimums and the long sentences. And so now we have a two-pronged approach to try to minimize the recidivism rate. Uh, We do it by providing a curriculum in diversion programs. We work with judges and prosecuting officials in different jurisdictions, and what we do is we give them tools, and when I say them, I mean the individuals who have been charged. Most of them are nonviolent offenders, first-time offenders who can be rehabilitated. They just need certain life skills, and that's what we do. We give them a civic education, financial literacy, things that make them more employable. So that way, instead of having a record, they have a resume. And we sponsor their education if they're interested in going to get a GED or to college, so from courtroom to the classroom. That's one side. Mm-hmm. And then the other side is on the reentry side. What we do there is we provide certain detention centers with a copy of the book, and it's used as part of the book being the autobiography that I wrote um, shows my criminal history and how I rehabilitated. And so they use this as part of a creative writing program, the individuals who are incarcerated read the book, and then they have to write their own story. And the thrust of it is that they have to finish their story when they're released to give them some hope that they can actually uh, acclimate oh, back amazing. into society. Yeah, it's fun because we're really creating impact. And then the one other thing that Red does is it creates awareness for recidivism to stop recidivism. We have a big charity event coming up in November. It's going to be a flag football tournament that will be held inside the Georgia Dome. And we're going to take participants from the diversion programs who are compliant, who have successfully graduated the program, and we're going to allocate groups of five of them to each of the teams that we have um, as part of this tournament. That's fantastic. For the, for the general listener, please describe what uh, recidivism is. Basically, in layman's terms, it would be that someone who has broken the law and they can't stop. In other words, they get released from jail Mm -hmm. and they come back because they re-offended. So they're a recidivist. Got it. Got Mm -hmm. it. Okay. So we stop that vicious cycle. Correct. It is a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. And America leads the, the world in incarceration. Georgia only is outranked by Texas with the number of people paroled in jail or on probation. And so we're technically... Uh, one degree separated from the epicenter of this nationwide problem, which, uh, in my mind, I'm motivated by that. I think that mm-hmm. being that close to the problem, we mm-hmm. have the best chances of putting a, a, a dagger through the heart of the issue. So instead of just continually punishing, mm-hmm. what you're doing is you're re- rehabilitating. That's correct. I, we believe that you know, some individuals are being able to redeem themselves through 
us providing them with resources and opportunity. You know, we have two different kinds of defendants. We have the ones that we're scared of because they're violent. They might commit a crime that we are worried about, the safety of our community. Those individuals justifiably so need to be incarcerated. But the ones that we're mad at, the ones who committed a mental error, the ones who um, can be rehabilitated if we provide Mm -hmm. them with certain services, those are the individuals we're aiming for because that's how we're going to minimize recidivism. Mm -hmm. And make it a more productive country. That's right. We can benefit from using our tax dollars in better ways. Thank you so much. David Winditcher with the Winditcher Firm and Red Inc., who wrote The American Dream here on Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. David, let's go back a little bit. I'm going to read your bio, if you don't mind. He was the son of Argentine immigrants, spent his formative years residing in two of the most dangerous cities in the United States, El Monte, California, and Miami, Florida. Despite being born into desperate circumstances, surrounded by tough gangs and limited opportunity, David relentlessly fought to change his fate. Today, Winditcher practices criminal defense and is the founder of Red Inc., a nonprofit organization sponsoring GED programs for young juveniles facing nonviolent criminal charges and capable of rehabilitation through education. He wrote an autobiography, The American Dream, His Story in the Making, to portray the difficulty of obtaining the American Dream as an impoverished minority. Winditcher's faith in God and love for his family were the catalysts for turning his life around. Yeah, you did it. All true. (laughs) (laughs) He's here. It's been a journey. And so you, I mean, with Dr. Faber and, you know, when you guys met, I'm sure you had a lot to discuss. Right. Um, It's kind of God's will how things work in my mind. You know, Mm -hmm. I I was in contact with uh, Mr. Tim Smith, who is someone that works alongside Dr. Faber, and he sent me a copy of his book, and he said, hey, I think that this is something that you would take an interest in. I read it literally in one sitting. I just went right through it because I was thinking, if I wrote a book on rehabilitating, this is what I would write. Obviously, I'm not capable of putting that together in those technical terms because I don't have that uh, training and education that Dr. Faber has. Mm -hmm. And that's when we connected and we started talking about devising a curriculum that we could implement in these diversion programs. As Dr. Faber mentioned, you know, we're at the front end of the race here. This is trial by error. Um, and we're trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. We can't fix the problems that we have today with recidivism, with the thinking that got us there two, three decades ago. It's going to take just as long to fix. Mm -hmm. And so with Dr. Faber's input regarding the neuroscience and the things that we can do to rehabilitate the brain, we have come up, we're devising a curriculum that we're implementing in these programs. I absolutely love that. So you're right, it hasn't worked in how many decades? 80s and 90s so is what started it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to think of something new. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> we got to be ahead of the game for sure. So um, your history, your story, what was that like growing up in such impoverished It was difficult. Um, it, it challenged my faith because I thought, you know, if, if there is a God, then he's, he's kind of cruel putting people in these types of situations. But it was for a reason. And that gave me purpose to overcome all those things. And that adversity helped me develop character to go back. I first, when I became barred as an attorney, I felt guilty that I was able to get out. And some of the individuals in those um, socioeconomic environments can't get out. But that's when I started realizing my purpose and my self-actualization started happening when I saw that, um, you know, it was all for a reason. And despite where I came from, um, I'm going back and trying to give back to those individuals to provide them with hope. And you can relate to them. And vice versa. Oh, yes. I love having a sit down with my clients because they know that I'm not judging them. I'm not qualified to do that in the first place. Sure. And I'm just trying to put my hand on them to show them that it doesn't matter how you start or what mistakes you make. 
the, those things in your past don't define you as a person. I know that. It's only, there's two things that I try to teach my clients that define them. It's how they respond to failure and how they respond to success. They have to have a tolerance for failure. Anyone who's ever accomplished anything has failed more than they've succeeded, right? Sure. And then when you become successful, the way you respond to that is extremely important. So we try to rehabilitate them and show them not to be pompous or arrogant that they got out of the system. Be humble and grateful that you can lead a good life. All right, uh, Rich Casson over here with the producer engineer for the Atlanta Legal Experts uh, radio show. Um, David, tell us about RED and how folks can get involved and what's next or the big picture um, for RED. So RED, which is StopRecidivism.org, is a, um, an entity that is trying to stop recidivism. And the way that people can get involved with regards to the diversion or the reentry program is that they can donate funds, funds that help us put these curriculums together, that help us donate books to the detention centers, that help us donate books to the courthouses, that help us put together the subject matter that we implement for the rehabilitation side of things. That's how they can get involved. Or if they're interested in volunteering for the big event that we have coming up in November, they can shoot me an email and it's all listed on the website, stoprecidivism.org, and I'll put them on the list. One of the committee members from the logistics uh, side of things will contact them and coordinate with them to help them come out. It's going to be a huge event, so hopefully we can get a lot of volunteers. Yeah, at the Georgia Dome you mentioned, right? That's right. Wow. It's all about building <laughs> while, while it's still standing, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. The last one final events, yeah. Mm-hmm. This will be the Super Bowl there, probably. <laughs> nice, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's amazing. And I'm sure Emily will mention as well, but how would folks get your book? You can find it on Amazon or on Barnes & Noble. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are we number one yet? We're working on Very it. Close. We're getting close. <laughs> yeah. We have some uh, great opportunities to get there. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mr. Windicher, for being on uh, this morning. And just, again, mention how everybody can reach you. Uh, you can find me at thewindicherfirm.com. The number is 404-487-9501. Or you can find me on my Twitter handle, at David Windicher. Thanks again. That's David Windicher at, on Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. And I also have Miss Jackson. Good morning. Good morning. We have Judge Jackson here, and she is with the DeKalb County Superior Court, a Superior Court judge. Thank you so much for being here this morning on Atlanta Legal Exper- Experts Radio. So tell me a little bit about your judgeship. You are a judge. You do not have clients, but you represent people. Well, I am a Superior Court judge, and Superior Court is the highest level trial court in the state of Georgia. So I preside over a general docket, um, and that includes uh, felony criminal cases. Um, And so half of the docket is civil. Um, That would be domestic cases and civil disputes involving companies and individuals. Um, And the other half of the docket is criminal cases. And how do you treat your um, the people that come in the court, the defendants and the – go ahead. Well, um, obviously there are a lot of people who come before the court on any given day wanting to have their disputes resolved. Um, and so I try to operate as efficiently as possible by being prepared um, to help people resolve their disputes, to help people um, get to some sort of resolution. I know that, that that one experience for most people when they come before the court will be their only interaction with the – Um, the justice system. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, for a lot of families, they have to come before the court when there are criminal cases pending, either because they have a a family member or a loved one who is a victim or because they have a family member or a loved one who has been charged with a crime. Um, And so I try to be as efficient as possible 
that allows me to do some of the other things as a service to the commun community, and that would be the accountability courts, for example. I have presided over our county's drug court. Um, our drug court is one of the preeminent drug courts in the country. It's been around for 10 years uh, with great success helping nonviolent offenders um, to rehabilitate their lives and become productive citizens. Um, I also last year founded and was granted the opportunity to start our county's first felony level mental health court. Um, the genesis obviously of the crimes that people commit with mental health issues is that those are untreated mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And so it's a revolving door for them. Um, oftentimes the crimes progress from misdemeanor crimes that would be loiter loitering and shoplifting, and they can advance to oftentimes more serious and violent felonies if they don't receive the help that they need. So in operating the court is my goal to be able to manage um, a 1,500 case docket so that I can devote quite a bit of time to our accountability courts program that I just mentioned, and then also to Project Pinnacle, which is a program that I started um, as a new judge four years ago because I kept seeing um, a certain class of people coming through the court. That would be 17 to 27-year-old first-time nonviolent offenders mm -hmm. who obviously did not have life skills or had something else going on with them that was, that was bringing them... Um, and causing them to have an interaction with the criminal justice system. I think that's fantastic. I mean, you're helping these people, not just, you know, you're doing more than what your job requires to help these people and rehabilitate them. Yeah, I think it's incumbent upon um, any court system at this point to do that. Um, as David mentioned earlier, um, in Georgia, the statistics were pretty alarming in terms of the number of people who were interacting with the criminal justice system, mm -hmm. either those persons that were directly incarcerated or that are on probation or parole in our state. Um, and so effectively, um, being involved in the criminal justice system was starting to touch most households. Mm -hmm. uh, most people know someone who has have some level of involvement with the criminal justice system. And so you cannot incarcerate a lot of these problems. Right. Um, you can't incarcerate an illness like mental illness and expect there to be um, a difference in terms of the criminal justice system. Um, and, and that's what we were finding is that a lot of the persons who um, are incarcerated either in, in federal custody or in state custody um, there are some underlying issues, and if you simply take the resources um, and put the resources in place to get people the help that they need, um, then they can be productive citizens and not have that involvement uh, with our with our justice system. Thank you. That was Judge Asha F. Jackson, Superior Court Judge with DeKalb County Count. Sorry say that again. DeKalb County Superior Court here on Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. And we're going to go back just a little bit and learn a little bit more about you. Tell me how you got into this. And I'm sure you, I know you practiced law before. What did you practice law in? Well, um, my, my history is interesting. I grew up here in Atlanta, uh, went to an inner city high school, one of the largest inner city high schools, Frederick Douglass High School. And so I had the opportunity to interact with all different types of students. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I oftentimes say that it, it gave me the training that I needed to be able to be um, an effective judge to relate to people in the community. Um, I then went to college in New York and to law school in New Orleans. So I've had a very interesting experience in terms of my background and training. Um, I, after law school, clerked for the judge that I succeeded 
Um, mm-hmm. So that gave me a really good introduction to the court system. I've always been interested in being a judge. I just didn't know it was going to happen as soon as it did. Um, And when I went into private practice, I worked for two law firms here in Atlanta as a civil litigator. So I got to see, um, you know, on the civil side, uh, litigated um, a a pretty high profile case involving Ray Lewis doing the Super Bowl stabbings. Um, It had a criminal component to it, but I litigated the civil side of the case. And then my general practice was to represent uh, corporations and hospitals doing medical malpractice defense work. So I got to learn medicine um, and had to teach it to juries and litigate, you know, tort cases and claims where people claimed to have been injured by a product or a person. Um, and so that was my background and experience. And then also I did some commercial litigation representing companies. Um, but at the heart of all of the work that I did was my volunteer work. Mm-hmm. Um, I served as the National Advisory Board Chair for an organization called Forever Family, uh, which is here in Atlanta. A lawyer started this organization um, to assist children of incarcerated parents because she saw the need um, to provide a support network um, educationally, morally, socially um, for children who have parents that are incarcerated. And I got involved with um, that organization and got to see firsthand how um, the effects of uh, persons being in the criminal justice system can, in fact, affect the family. Oh, yeah. And that is the work that she really did. Uh, a piece of her work was to do reentry programs, particular, in particular a fatherhood program for people coming out of the criminal justice system to reincorporate them back into society to help them form relationships with families. Um, And just seeing the work and seeing how lives were changed um, really allowed me when I was appointed in 2012 to the bench to be able to carve out um, Project Pinnacle Mm -hmm. um, and really try to get the community involved in investing in trying to rehabilitate first-time nonviolent offenders. Now, tell me, because you were saying earlier um, you can't incarcerate people that have those mental disabilities, um, mental issues, uh, but more so you can rehabilitate them. How the, how'd you find her, David? <laughs> <laughs> so She's I mean, amazing. I love judges with Judge Jackson's perspective. This upbringing that she had gives her perspective and it allows her to develop the compassion to understand individuals who come from backgrounds like such as myself. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, not everybody is beyond hope, but we can help a lot of people and she gets it. And working with her is fantastic for me. It's motivating because I know that she really wants to do whatever she can to keep people out of the criminal justice system. It's important that we have more judges that think like her. Yeah. Yeah. Just want to remind your listeners, you're listening to Atlanta Legal Experts Radio, Rich Casanova here. Um, Judge Jackson, you mentioned the Project Pinnacle several times for first uh, time non-offenders. Are, how does that, uh, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis in terms of uh, are there are partners you uh, and organizations, nonprofit you associate with, or what's the next step once they've left your courthouse, I guess? Yeah, so when they come before the court, um, at this point, our uh, prosecutor in our county knows about Project Pinnacle and, and knows what we're trying to do. Um, and so there's a certain profile, obviously. If they're 17 to 27 or 28 years old, they are nonviolent offenders, of course. That's important um, in terms of the work that we do with them. 
um, I have developed essentially a curriculum as well where we work on certain life skills with these individuals. Now, they're still serving a sentence. Um, They are still under a sentence. Oftentimes, if they complete Project Pinnacle, it will be deferred um, or reduced um, in many instances if they complete Project Pinnacle in addition to the other terms and conditions that are imposed. Um, I have been very lucky and fortunate to partner with people like David um, and other members of the community to present um, the different topics. They meet with me once a month. Okay. They are typically in my courtroom for three hours, and I'm there, and, right. and so are the speakers. And, for example, David came, and he was able to tell his story. But they read a book that I've selected prior to coming, and they write a report on the book. Um, and so when the speakers come, it, it's sort of related to the topic. So when David comes, they've read his book, right. <laughs> for example. <laughs> um, we did a visioning board activity because oh, most yeah. of these people had no idea – you know, where they were going or, right. or or what they wanted to do, or if they had some idea, they had no idea how to get there. And so it was really amazing to watch them get into the process of doing a vision board um, to sort of put put down in writing what they want to do. Yeah, dream what can be, right? Yeah. And, and I do, um, I don't take for granted um, the opportunity to learn more about the people that come in front of me. There are some barriers to success. I think um, everyone would agree with that. Sometimes it is related to poverty. Sometimes it is related to lack of education and opportunity. And so at every session, I try to learn from them what things have changed. Do you now have a family? Are you unemployed? Is housing a barrier? Because I want to know what the needs are so that I can better service this population. Um, In particular, a number of these people asked for a workshop on conflict resolution or anger management. And so I have uh, one of our therapists is coming in from our drug court program to work on moral recognition therapy with this group, to work on thinking for a change, which is a module that we use in both mental health court and in drug court, um, because a lot of them have anger management issues and they just don't know how to deal with it. They don't know the genesis of it. Um, And it really may have an impact, as I'm sure Dr. Farber would agree um, on, you know, what their behavior will be in the future. And if they have those issues, that doesn't play well in the workforce. No. Right. So it makes them very unemployable. And that that goes back to that um, that cycle effect. Right. Correct. Um, I did a quick follow up question. Um, There's been this conversation about repeat offenders. And what are some of the stats we're talking about um, that you see through? And and also you mentioned a fifteen hundred case uh, load. Yeah, I'm going to leave that, here, and possible? I've got it here, too. How is that possible? I mean, how do you, what does that look like? <laughs> it, it looks like 1,500 active <laughs> cases. As we're sitting here, there are people filing open cases right now. And obviously, you know, I don't hear all of, every type of case every right. single day. This is a, a domestic week, and next week will be criminal, and the week following that will be, you know, civil. Um, and so we sort of rotate them in and out there and, and make it happen. But it is just imperative, I think, um, that we focus on, um, you know, certain populations in our criminal justice system because the caseload is just going to increase if you don't. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's open things up, right? Well, I just want to say thank you oh, yeah. to Judge Jackson for being on the show. And um, they can find you at the DeKalb Court. <laughs> yeah. Superior uh, Court. <laughs> we have a website, DeKalbCountySuperiorCourt.com. Okay. Thank yeah. you so much. And, yeah, I want to open it up for discussion now for um, roundtable discussion and I kind of wanted to start because I was putting myself in these these kids these these babies you know that didn't really have a good upbringing or maybe even had a great upbringing but just got in the wrong crowd and I can just see 
having everybody against you. And I feel like that's their mental issue when they're coming in. It's like they don't have a hope for the world. You know, they just, everything's wrong. Everything's against them. And they have this mental belief of that. And so they come and they meet you and they meet David and Dr. Faber and they see that somebody actually cares about them and they want to help them. And I could just see right away that's a change, a shift in their thinking that would help them. You know, so... It's interesting that you mention that. Uh, sometimes that is the case. Uh, when David was participating in the last Project Pinnacle session, there was a participant who typically is not very interested in being there. He knows he has to be there. Um, but a lot of it is because he's frustrated. And David was talking about constitutional rights and knowing your Fourth and Fifth and Sixth mm-hmm. Amendment rights. And and what we found is that knowledge really is power. They don't know their rights. And so this this particular uh, individual actually got up and, and began to demonstrate how he felt he had been harassed by the police and that even if you know your rights, it doesn't matter because this is how the police are going to respond. And so David was able to work with him um, and identify with him what that must have felt like yeah. um, in terms terms of what the response needed to be in the future. And That's so, amazing. you know, sometimes you have to reach people by allowing them to tell their story as David has. Mm-hmm. Um, this kid wanted to tell his story about, you know, being harassed at gas stations or wherever he's hanging out. Um, and it was interesting to watch the rest of the group respond as well mm-hmm. um, to talk it's about, therapy. you know, right. Sometimes it, it is the way that you gesture. Uh, sometimes you know, unfortunately, it is the way that you carry yourself um, because in, in particular, he wanted to wear a certain hairstyle and mm-hmm. thought that he was being harassed because of the hairstyle or the clothing. And, and that does happen. But knowing your rights is what David was trying to tell him, knowing how important it is that you actually can articulate, you know, what your constitutional rights are and how most people just and they have some general idea, but they don't really know how to assert themselves. Um, and when they do that, and then you have them write it down and then write down a future that they can see. You, they say that you accomplish things when you write them down. That's right. like the most important thing. So when you actually write it and see it, then there's so much better of a chance for you to actually. And that's what I do. I ask them to write down these amendments, the fourth, the fifth, and sixth amendment, so they understand the rights. Because a lot of them feel, hey, I'm being profiled. I like to wear mm-hmm. a certain kind of attire, and I hang out in the streets with my boys, but I'm not doing anything wrong. Why should a police officer come up to me and bug me or harass me? But it's not the case. If you assert yourself properly, and that's why I try to explain to them, they have a job to do. They have a job to do. It's to keep the community safe. And if mm-hmm. you look like you're up to no good, they have a reason to come up to you. And right. so you need to be able to assert yourself and say, officer, I'm actually not up to any good. Is there a reason I need to answer your questions right now? And if he doesn't <laughs> give you any reason why you should answer his questions, then you can have a nice discussion with the officer and move on. Yeah. But they think that you can't have those types of conversations. And so they're not engaged with police officers. And we, mm-hmm. that's kind of what we need to do to bridge the gap, you know, get the community connected to law enforcement so that they understand they have a responsibility and their safety really truly is an issue. Mm -hmm. So, but our privacy is also an issue and I'm trying to teach them what they can learn from these amendments regarding their privacy rights. That's great. Yeah. So there's the legal perspective, which I'm learning some things of Mm -hmm. great ways to articulate using Mm -hmm. laws, which the police would, would know. So I think that's Mm -hmm. a great idea. The other thing I was going to point just from a sort of a, brain science i mean a picture's worth a thousand words i mean nonverbals and how our oh. brains quickly react mm-hmm. uh, on both sides sure. to what we see and then there's a whole kind of a neuroanatomical process which i won't get into but if you know that get some education and then take a step back 
and communicate. It, 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 it's huge. It's interesting um, you say that, Dr. Faber, because Judge Jackson can tell you this individual that we're talking about, he had a negative disposition. It was guarded, defensive. And when we started explaining to him how to communicate his rights, he his chest up. was out, <laughs> his head was up, and he was more confident. And so that kind of helped him feel like he can communicate with an officer. And we put him center stage, you know, <laughs> you know, lift your shoulders up, you know, raise your head up, you know. And, and, and it started out, you know, you show us how you were standing there. How were you loitering? And he, you know, put his uh, hoodie on and he had his he has uh, dreadlocks. That's the hairstyle. Mm. But we told him, you know, you have every right to look like that, to wear your hair that way. But this is perhaps what you should consider um, doing the next time you have this kind of encounter. And it was just interesting, again, to watch all the rest of the participants. They, they kind of get it. It's like, yeah. And then they'll chime in and say, well, you know, this is what happened to me. We have uh, another um, participant who has um, tattoos on his face. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is so determined. He came and showed David and I his receipts. He's been um, saving money to have the tattoos removed off of his face oh, because wow. he understands the impact of of how he is treated because of the tattoos on his face. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's really interesting um, to watch people um, sort of learn and understand things that perhaps they didn't know before. Sure. Um, and then really make goals for their life. And what they're really doing initially is just following what other people are doing in their community. Mm-hmm. So they think yeah. it's right. Mm-hmm. What would be interesting is to take the conversation we're having now with these individuals and even the legal system and other entities, have them talk about this, then watch Straight Outta Compton, <laughs> which to I, I me really polarizes <laughs> you know, both sides. Mm-hmm. And then well, to come back to the table and have a conversation is, hey, how can we well, that's, resolve this? That's a question I just made a note about. As the whole, a lot of this seems like the conversation has been dealing with the offenders, repeat offenders, and rehabbing and so forth. But is there ever an occasion or uh, an entity, a group that, that puts – these police officers in the same room with these offenders, um, maybe not that they necessarily engage with, but hear both sides of it. Because it is a lot of perception, like you mentioned the tattoo. It's that, that visual, and there's trigger points that, uh, and, you know, for the offender to, to learn their, their uh, rights is obviously very important. But if the police are not engaged, and they can have their own training. So if you're own training separately, do they ever train together and say, now I see what I did wrong on both sides or how we can work, you know, moving forward. And that helps police officers with understanding how to do community policing rather than arrest and control policing. And we have done certain things like that. I recently did one with uh, Sherry Boston's program at DeKalb County called Goals. We brought four officers in, and there was 40 individuals participating in the diversion program. And it started off really defensive. People are like, we don't trust cops. We don't even want to talk to you all. And guess what? They said the same thing. Well, you know what? If you guys look like we're worried about you hurting someone, we don't trust y'all. And it it was defensive at first, but then as people started seeing each other's responsibilities on one side and the other, they started having open forum communication. And it was great. At the end, everybody was a friend. Right, yeah. And just knowing that lingo amongst themselves. Exactly. I love the steps that you guys are taking to rehab all these these children, and um, there's so much more we could talk about, I know, and I hate it that we're, we're out of time. I um, but I want to go around the table and just um, definitely mention how everybody can reach you and also how they can find your books and everything. So we'll start with Dr. J. Faber. Yeah, if you go to Dr. J, J-A-Y Faber, F-A, 
beersandboyer.com, drjfaber.com. That's my website. You can download my book free of charge electronically for anybody. Thank you. David? So I have uh, three websites, one for the firm, windaturefirm.com. The number there is 404-487-9501. Then we have the website for the book, which is His Story in the Making with two S's, hisstoryinthemaking.com. The book's also available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And uh, the last one, which is the most important one, is the Red Ink website, which is stoprecidivism.org. And you can donate there or submit emails to become one of the volunteers for the groups. And find out about your event. That's right. And find out about the big event, which we'll be announcing formally here soon, as soon as we have the actual date. And I am Judge Asha Jackson in DeKalb County Superior Court. I can be found on the DeKalb County Superior Court website. Um, and also uh, my uh, chamber numbers is 404-371-2344. You can also find me for DeKalb County Mental Health Court and DeKalb County Drug Court. Thank you so much, everybody, for being on Atlanta Legal Experts Radio. My name is Emily Rowell, the host, signing out. Thank you again for joining Emily Rowell and her guests on the Pro Business Channel. Use the social media links here to share today's show. And stay tuned for the next episode of Atlanta Legal Experts Radio.